Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today, we interviewed Erin Helley. She is a US Army veteran and real estate investor that currently lives in Tennessee. She has a portfolio of 91 units and has used a multitude of different strategies. She's done syndication. She's done um, turnkey rentals. She has done uh, wholesaling, fixed and flips, regular flips, and just... Oh, and then also using self-directed IRAs to invest in her properties. So just so many cool strategies that she used in just over a four-year span. She also created a, I know you just mentioned this wholesaling, but like a wholesaling business. And she also got bought out of that and used the proceeds to buy into another property, ended up selling that property for over $150,000 in profit. So she's like just a cool story of how she's been creative with her funds. And the thing that she mentioned in the beginning was she found a mentor and that was the difference maker that helped her scale her business and really took her off and gave her the confidence that she was going in the right direction with her portfolio. Totally. She went from zero to 19 units in 18 months after she got out of the army. She was in the army for 12 years. So, and she, one of her key things that she likes to talk about is telling her daughters that as a woman, that you can, you know, you can be the breadwinner, so to speak, or you can do this too. And not, not to just think that you have to be, you know, a stay at home mom. And she's teaching her kids this every day. So shortly after scaling from to 19 doors in 18 months, she's now an ownership in 91 units, right? They're not all hundred percent owned by her, but she talks about syndications. I think this is a very tangible episode to learn about the self-directed IRA and taking money from that, where society doesn't want to to you to think that you can take that money and go invest it and get bigger profits. She's talking about basically recycling money and syndications. Um, and then we get philosophical kind of as always at the end, she's got a really powerful message about starting a, a charity and uh, helping others along in their journey. So Aaron's really, really cool. She's also a coach and, um, what an awesome story. Yeah. She became a millionaire by age 34, which is no easy feat, Not but, it. um, I think without further ado, we bring her in and let her tell her story. Let's do it. As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. If you're interested, after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. Aaron, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show. We've been following your story on social and we wanted to bring it to our audience. So thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So if you could give us a little background on you, who you are, and then how you got into real estate investing. We know you have a portfolio of about 91 units at the moment. So love to hear how you got there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm about four and a half years in. 
Um, but I guess four and a half years ago is when I bought my first rental, but it started long before that. I hung out in the analysis paralysis phase for probably two years, just um, and analyzing like crazy, talking myself out of tons of stuff. But once I finally made, got that first deal, like really under contract and, and moving, I was hooked. I, I thought I would have this like buyer's remorse with my first deal, but I didn't. I rented it from day one. I literally drove from closing, like drove from the title company over to Home Depot, made a copy of the key, met my tenant at the property. And that tenant stayed there for like three and a half years. And now I have a new rent, renter in there. It's rented for even more, refinanced that one, bought a triplex with the proceeds from that. And, you know, kind of replicated that process over and over again to a couple of different properties. But I, um, like I said, I started, that one was four and a half years ago and I bought 19 doors in my first 18 months. I just decided like nothing's going to change except for my willingness to put one foot in front of the other. And I just dove in head first, did my first couple kind of on my own. And then I got a mentor and he, the beginning of his course, he was like, Hey, if you have any deals, I'll pay you if we close on those deals. So bring deals to me. And I found this 10 unit pretty close to where I was living at the time. And I was like, you're going to love this deal. It looks great. And he was like, I'm really not interested, but I think you should offer on it. And I, I like laughed at him. I was like me 10, 10 units. Like that's crazy. And he said, he's like, just offer. I'll teach you how to do it without risk. I'll walk you through it. Like I'll literally hold your hand the whole time. And I, I offered, I bought it. And that was like a game changer for me because I feel like that was when I went from sort of a dabbler, like a stay at home mom who was, um, investing in real estate as a, like a hobby to a professional investor. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then from there, lots of opportunities have kind of come about, but long before that, I didn't tell you guys like my previous, you know, before getting into real estate, I was in the army for, um, like 12 years on active duty, a little bit more in the reserves. And that taught me a lot about like project management, risk mitigation, um, of course, networking, leading teams, systems, processes. And I wanted to get into something. I was really intrigued initially by like the flipping and the renovations because I felt like there's a lot of overlap to what I did as an engineer in the army. I don't really do a lot of flipping anymore, um, but that was like a pretty good, pretty good, uh, like background for me to kind of get into this industry. And, but it took me a while. I got out of the army, not, not so much by choice. I, we had, we had a kid, our first kid, my husband's still active duty and we were both supposed to deploy when she was a very small baby. And I knew I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave her. So I resigned, got out of the army very quickly, stayed at home for a while. And, um, just kind of struggled. Honestly, I struggled as a stay at home mom. I struggled not having something for myself. Um, it was a challenging time. And then I finally chose to just pursue real estate. And I'm, I'm kind of like an all or nothing kind of person and it has become everything and it's been life-changing and I'm super excited to be where we are now. Awesome. Aaron. So the cool thing is here is you had, you probably were taught a lot of discipline, which helped you uh, I'm sure helped you in your journey, your real estate investing journey. But what was it about real estate investing? Because, um, you know, when you're, I don't know anything about being in the army, but I imagine you have to be pretty singularly focused when you're there. So what got the idea in your head about real estate investing? And then why did you decide that that was the thing for you to pursue? Yeah, I mean, I think like to me, real estate investing 
like even before the army was about flipping and doing renovations. I grew up in a family who everyone owned their own businesses and everyone was in construction. And I've always liked being on the job side. I've always liked like getting my hands dirty and doing that physical like manual labor. And so initially I was really interested in the flip game and that is kind of how I started. But uh, I started my very first flip I did when I was pregnant with my second kid and she's four now. And so, you know, at this age, it's hard to be manually flipping a house and and doing all that labor. And so I kind of looked at other options and started really buying turnkey properties. But I think that's what was intriguing to me was um, the concept of owning my own business and not working for somebody else. Because once I had kids, I just I couldn't imagine being like told what to do, where to be and, and constantly being sort of like on call like I was in the army. And so I wanted something as far away from that as I could get. And then I just really liked the idea of um, doing like construction projects. So that's kind of how flipping came about. And I, I didn't really see much past that at first, but it it morphed quite a bit. And I, my strategy has changed slightly over the years, um, but that's that's where it started. Very cool. Um, I want to touch on mentorship because you mentioned that like as you kind of grew your portfolio, it seemed like that 10 unit through the mentorship and like having the someone back you and say, Hey, we're going to walk through this step-by-step. I got your back. So it's, it won't be as risky as you think. So let's go for this thing. Can you talk about the importance of mentorship and then potentially like how you got involved in it? There's so many people out there that you can spend your money with, right? So how did you know how to find the right coach and person for you? Um, and then we can work off that, but I I'm I'm super intrigued. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like whether you're like paying for a mentor or a coach or you have, um, you know, someone that you can trust in the industry, or if it's maybe just somebody that you take on as like a accountability partner, like a peer who's doing the same things though, that's a game changer, you know, being able to have someone to just say like, yeah, you're doing the right thing because you know how it is when you get started, like when you don't, when you don't have this network of real estate investors and you don't have all these people being like, yeah, real estate is where it's at. This is where you make money. And you kind of have that reinforcement, which I have now five years later, but at the time, everyone was saying, oh my God, my uncle did this flip and he lost everything. And you just hear these crazy stories and everyone wants to tell you not to pursue it because they heard somebody that did it and they're not doing it. They would rather you just struggle month to month and live paycheck to paycheck like most of the world does. And so that's something that I really learned is like, if you want to do something different, you need to pursue those people that are doing those different things. But when I first found Buddy, I was, he's a um, Naval Academy graduate. He runs like a whole, he has a whole investing business, does a coaching program um, with a course associated with it. And I was just intrigued by sort of our shared military background. And I think when I got out of the military, losing that network was really, really hard for me. You know, we, we tend to be a little bit different than most people. And I went from being surrounded by all these military people to suddenly having none. And so I was kind of looking for that in particular, but, you know, obviously like him just telling me this was a good deal and reinforcing that I was taking the right steps changed absolutely everything. And it's interesting because like four, three, four years later, I worked on my dissertation I did a doctor of business administration and I essentially, um, it didn't start out like this, but it became like a study of the difference between confidence and results. And women report really low levels of confidence and men report very high levels of confidence when it comes to investing. 
But the results are flip-flopped. Women are actually significantly better investors than men across the board in pretty much every category. And it's fascinating to think hey. of that. <laughs> what the heck? No, that's great though. Fun fact. No, it's great. Yeah. And well, and it's interesting too, because um, now I'm going to tell you this and you guys are going to see this play out in your life. Cause once I realized this, it's helped me so much as a coach and I'm so passionate about helping and empowering women because we we feel like we need someone to reinforce us and we more so than men. And every woman that comes to me says, how do I get my husband on board? Or I got to make sure my husband is down for this. But zero men have ever had that conversation with me. They don't feel like they need to have their spouse behind them. I mean, of course, they would love their support, but it's not like a showstopper in the way that it can be for women. And it was kind of like that for me, too. And that's why Buddy kind of like taking me under his wing changed everything for me. Um, but again, I don't think that that's like only women need a mentor. I think everyone can benefit from a mentor. Sure. A couple of things. One, I'm going to ask you if you can uh, plug the mentorship program that he has in his name and all that, just because I think people clearly you've seen success. So that would yeah. be for the first thing. And then I want to dive into um, motherhood and how you are balancing that and being an investor. Because yeah. I know that comes with wearing a million hats a day and, and things go left, right, up, down. So I think for all the women listening to this, they're thinking, okay, maybe I'll have a family one day. And, and you know, if I have kids, I may work from home a little bit. I may not. So just if we could dive into that kind of whole rabbit hole and talk about things you've learned over your course of your investing journey, I guess. That'd yeah. Be great. Yeah. So um, it's Buddy Rushing. He does White Feather Investments and his course is called, um, I think it's the Real Estate Investor Accelerator. Um, he does two cohorts a year. It was only for service academy graduates. Graduates. Now I think it's for military people affiliated with the military in general. Um, he does. He also does like funds and he helps with syndications. And a lot of the people that have come out of his course have achieved a good amount of success. And then he like, you know, some of them are wholesalers, some of them are turnkey providers, some are syndicators, and he provides really great connections so that people can scale their portfolios. So he's awesome. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, oh my gosh, in terms of motherhood. So motherhood um, was a game changer for me, obviously. I don't think I had any clue what was going to happen when I had my first kid. I thought we thought we'd say we'd do the dual military thing like I would stay in for a while. And we were hoping that that would happen. But three months after she was born, they said, you're going to Afghanistan, which was the same month my husband was going to Iraq. And it's just I, I literally laughed like I could not even wrap my head around leaving her. It was hard enough for me to go to to drop her off at daycare, which was like down the street from where I worked. So I realized quickly that I was just not a good soldier. Like if I wasn't willing to deploy, I, didn't, I really didn't need to be there. Um, so I wanted to like give everything to my kid. Now kids, I wanted to be this person who was home with them all the time and available to them all the time. And I, I didn't need to work. My husband makes good money. Um, and I was hope, I hoped that that would be enough, but it was not for me. It was, it's, it being a stay at home mom was the hardest thing I've ever known in my whole life. And, um, I was completely miserable. My mental health was terrible. My relationships with everybody as a result were terrible. I was probably a pretty good mom, but my kid was really little. So I didn't have, you know, I had to physically be there, but I didn't have to like, um, you know, there, we weren't like even having conversations yet. So had I gone through this now that my kids are four and six, I don't think I could have said I was a good mom through it because it's just different now. 
But anyway, um, what I learned is having something for myself and something that I can build and be proud of is something that I want my daughters to see. And even though I'm not as available as I would love to be to them or for them, I think it's important for them to know that you as a woman, you can be both and have both. And we actually currently live in pretty rural Tennessee. We're outside of Nashville, but it's a really small town and it's very conservative. It's the Bible Belt. And um, they're taught some pretty interesting things at this little Christian school that they go to. They're literally taught as girls that their role is to get married and help their husband. That's like verbatim what they're taught. And it's, it crushes me as a, as a, you know, strong woman who I make like four times as much money as my husband does. And we have a very different relationship than pretty much everyone that we live near. Um, so anyway, I feel like I have to go to the extreme to show them that that is not your only option. That is not what you're meant to do. This isn't the person God didn't make you to, to help anyone. You get to choose whatever you want to do. So I feel like showing them that is the best thing that I could do for them. And that's, you know, kind of how, how I feel better about sometimes like not always being able to be there for them. Yeah, sure. sure. I, I would say it's interesting that the, the purpose conversation, right? I think working from home, a lot of people not seeing other people and, and not being in the, in an office or just around another community of people that are doing similar things. I know, for example, my wife struggled with that for a little bit. And she was just like, I was like, you're not, you don't have to do much right now. This is great. And you're still getting paid. And she's like, yeah, but like, there's no purpose behind it. It's just like, I feel like a dud. And so, you know, eventually we'll have kids and and a family too. And I want to make sure that she does. It was kind of a selfish question because I don't want to make sure I know I'm heavily involved in real estate investing and, and building businesses and a lot of different things with Corey. And I don't want her to feel a type of way. Right. I want her to, I don't want her to feel like she has to be at home. If she wants to leave her job, I want, Absolutely. That's what I want to provide. But I also don't want her to feel like she has to stay home and raise the kids if she wants to go pursue a passion. So it was just interesting to catch your mindset on that because I think a lot of people too, and, and there'll be female investors listening to the show and they're, it's important to show your kids. That's another, you're, whether you know it or not, you have your kids, but then your business is your little baby you're raising too. So you're not only nurturing that, but it, it is it's awesome to, for your daughters to see the reflection of you as a strong woman too. And it's just, a, I love this conversation because I think it's, it's super important, especially where you're at. You, you said the Bible belt, like learning that them learning that in school. It's what for me to hear that it's wild. Cause we're in the Northeast. It's just, it's not really a thing. And yeah. you almost think that's something in the books like that. We, we moved on from, which is wild. Cause it hasn't. And then you're doing this absolutely insane four times your husband and it just not, that's not the insane part. The insane part is just the business you're building, right? That's a lot of income. So yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's like a power struggle, right? Between what you're sending them to school. They're learning one thing and then at home, they're learning something else. So very, very cool conversation. I just wanted to touch on. Yeah. I yeah. think, um, I, I think I'd like to learn about the strategy that, that you, that you, uh, use to try to, to build to that 91 units too. So, I love the conversation that we were having too about the the teaching your children the way that's the most beautiful thing about where we live. And I mean, just like America, right? Like if you want to stay at home, you can stay at home. If you don't want to stay at home, you don't have to, especially now, like there's so many ways to live life and you have the freedom and the ability to do it the way that you want. So that, 
sorry, I didn't mean to jump from something. I want to put a bow on that. I think it's, it's beautiful. And your kids are clearly going to grow up to, to see their mother doing amazing things and probably likely following her footsteps, but yeah. Well, and I'm going to interrupt you because I I actually just got an, and message today on Instagram or on uh, Facebook. And it was, it was one of my clients that was like, you know, I'm working so hard to make more money so I can buy these assets. And I'm realizing the more money I make, the more I'm paying to the government. And it just seems like a stupid system. And she was just like venting to me and getting and super frustrated about her efforts and not seeing as much results. And I was like, that's so true. And she said, I wish they taught you this stuff in school. I wish they taught you about investing. And I, and I, you know, I, I do think we're seeing a change in like the way that schools are going to go about things. And we're seeing like major declines in college, um, you know, number of kids that are going to college and stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that we do see this stuff start to change and they, they start to teach people, you know, things that you can really use in real life and in high school and college. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is an interesting, like, way that it's interesting for us to have to like, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I didn't have to, I've never experienced like the stuff that the attitude and stuff that we have down here. Um, so yeah, you have to really like to control what you teach in your own house, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So I totally agree, but I, I I'm curious now, now that you're talking about all of the, the amazing things that you're teaching your children, I'm curious, what is the strategy behind you building to that 91 units? Like you, do you have some sort of buy box, maybe talk details and specifics of like, okay, you, you got your first couple, you got to this 10 unit, then you're able to scale. But like, what specifically did you do that felt like you, that gave you the opportunity to scale at the pace that you were able to? Yeah. So those first 19 doors, I just like bought everything I possibly could and just got really scrappy. Um, We bought the first single family home just using cash that we had in a savings account. And then it basically wiped me clean. I bought a like $225,000 new construction house, um, which I didn't know that that wasn't really like a typical thing that investors do, um, for a rental, but it's been awesome for us. Um, and then I bought, uh, a flip. I literally sold my car to get the money to purchase. I did seller financing on a flip. And then I had like 12 K in the renovations. I ended up putting up a ton of the renovation doing it myself because that's all I could afford. And then I self-directed my IRA and bought a duplex, And then after that, we bought the 10 unit with the proceeds from the sale of our personal residence. Um, And I I spent about a year after that flipping. And I regret that a lot because in that year, I'm pretty sure I didn't add a single door to my portfolio in the entire year. And I... Aaron, every flipper tells us the same thing that comes on the show that said that says... Yeah, they were able to make active income, but they just wish they would have held on to every other. Every single one says that to us. Yeah. You know, I remember flippers telling me that when I did it, but it's, I don't know what it is. You get, you just see this like return that you could make, but it's amazing how you somehow figure out how to spend that money. You give, you know, give a lot of it to Uncle Sam and then it's just gone. But when you buy your own, when you have portfolio rentals, like it's not gone, it just keeps growing. So, I knew that. And then I, so then I kind of came back in after that and started focusing on turnkey rentals because I got so burned out from contractors. Um, and this was kind of as COVID hit and I just focused on turnkey rentals. And then I got into wholesaling. I did about eight months of wholesaling, which again, I made a decent amount of money. I worked my butt off for like eight months, worked stupid hours. And it was actually pretty good. Like it was me and three of my West Point classmates. We, um, 
like built this pretty awesome company and we took really good care of our employees, but we weren't really able to pay ourselves just because there wasn't that much left at the end. And it got really, really hard. And, um, at one point we like, we're having this really hard conversation about money and they like, I think it was AT&T that was like, you can no longer cold text our, our, um, users and, I was like, this is a good opportunity for me to ask them to buy me out. And without even thinking about it, I did. They offered me like 30K the next day. I walked away. I took that 30K and I bought a condo in Florida with a um, vacation home loan, 10% down. I paid, it was 360. I put the 36K down. The seller paid all the closing costs on it. So it's literally 36K out of pocket. One year later, I sold that thing for 525. 360 to 525. I did not do one single thing to that. Well, that's not true. I did replace the HVAC unit. It went like the first week I bought it, but um, that was just like a super crazy thing. So I don't regret doing that wholesaling because that wholesaling, even though it was eight months of hard work, I learned a ton. I built great relationships. I learned how to run business, you know, better run businesses, take care of people, and then was able to get that return that we put to work this year. Um, But anyway, after that eight months of wholesaling, back into the buy and hold game. And our IRAs have um, scaled pretty significantly because we've invested in mostly syndications and then like two of one of them sold and then one of them refinanced. We got all the money back, still have that equity in those deals and just keep buying in that in our IRAs. So that's kind of cool. All right. You have probably one of the most unique stories uh, we've heard to date just because you've used so many different strategies. It's insane. So you just kind of slipped in that you built a wholesaling business, like in the midst of scaling your portfolio and then got out. And instead of your 30 K, right. I'm, I'm, th- I'm actually viewing this as you didn't get out, bought out for 30 K you actually got maybe 150 K because you ended right. up selling that other property, which is amazing. So kudos to you. I just think <clears throat> there's so many different strategies woven in there, but also you were gritty with it. And that's the point. Like a lot of people, they see a speed bump and they just stop. They're like, eh, it's too hard. You went self-directed IRA, cash out of pocket, um, and then did, uh, used a refinance to get into another one. So just like a lot of different things that people are like, whoa, this sounds too crazy, complicated. Then you're parlaying into syndications, which are even more passive, but you were able to it's kind of insane because you're saying this all in a four year window. And usually a syndication is, you know, I would say like five to seven years before they refinance or sell out. So Corey and I are our capital raisers for syndications. And um, we do a bunch, we're, we're like moving in that direction for our portfolio with sprinkling a couple long terms and a couple maybe short term rentals in, in between. But I want to ask you specifically about these syndications and then maybe dive in a little bit more to wholesaling because uh, we've been told by everyone like, hey, you guys should start this. But I definitely want your take. So I know that's a lot, but let's start with the syndications and just walk us through how you got into them. And, and if you could walk us in number, like the numbers through one of them and you know yeah. how you were able to get out so quickly. I mean, it's two, it had to be at least four years, right? Or like, excuse me, a maximum well, of four years. Right? Well, so we, all of our syndications are with people we met through that white feather network I was talking about earlier. Um, and so Carly and Jared DaCosta, they're syndicators in the Jacksonville area. And they, they have like this crazy story. They were living in San Diego or San Francisco and they, um, bought this like $6 million property, raised a million dollars with zero experience, not having done one single deal. I don't even think they own their own personal residence. And they raised this million dollars, like flipped the six unit apartment. And they were like, oh, there's something to this. And then they decided to move to Jacksonville Beach um, and really kind of take their 
business to a whole nother level. And they started off with like these smaller syndications and they've, they own like half of that city now. Um, and so the two big ones that we invested in, I don't think they had any intention of selling or refinancing. It's just that that market has appreciated so significantly and they keep finding these other deals that they want to pursue that they need to find more money. And so they, they're like, oh, well, we have this deal over here that has this equity into in it. We can refinance. And then as soon as they mentioned that they'd refinance with us, they got us on the phone. They're like, so you're going to give us back the proceeds for the next one? Like that's kind of their business model, right? And we're like, heck yeah, like you're making us money constantly. Um, and, and it's for us in our IRAs, we like the syndications in our IRAs because we can't benefit from that money now. We don't want to put any effort into it. We wanted to just continually grow and that's exactly what it's done. So um, one of those deals, it's a 12 unit. Uh, actually, no, I'll walk you through the five units. I don't know if I know yeah, the number. Yeah. On that, can you, can you actually talk us through the process of the IRAs and how you buy yeah. them through that as well? Because I don't think... Maybe one other guest has touched on that, but just like the nitty gritty, like how to, because I think we do have a bunch of people yeah. listening. They're like, Hey, I don't have the cash, but I have an IRA, 401k, whatever it is. They have a yeah. retirement account where they have a stack of money that they want to take advantage of. Yeah. So yeah, we'll start with the IRA because that, that kind of leads into it. So to self-direct your IRA, it's like the easiest thing you could possibly do, but your money manager, whoever it is that's managing like your retirement funds, like your mutual funds, whatever you have it in, they're going to tell you, don't do it. They're going to tell you, you're going to lose money. They're going to tell you all this bad stuff. And I guarantee you, when you finally say like, you're like, I've already made up my mind, I'm leaving. They're going to resort to insults because it seems to be what happens because their feelings are hurt because they can no longer make money off of your money. And if you think about it, the whole way that the um, those people, those, uh, I don't even know what they're called, like financial planners, portfolio managers, they, they're incentivized on a quarterly basis, but you're trying to make long-term gains. So it doesn't even really make sense the way that they have it set up. So, but anyway, so what you, in order to self-direct an IRA, your IRA, you have to find a custodian or you can do this yourself. You could set up your own LLC and self-direct it on your own, or you can find a custodian that's going to charge you like $250 to $400 a year to, they have like a whole like sales team that can help you understand all the things you can invest in. And they will, they're basically your checkbook. So I would, I, especially for someone who doesn't quite understand all the ins and outs of your IRA. And if, especially if you're not like a CPA, just use a custodian because you, you know, that $400 a month, or I'm sorry, $400 a year that you pay, you will more than make up for that because they're going to help you understand all the things you can do with your IRA. So what you do is you have to liquidate your assets, which isn't nearly as complicated as, again, your manager is going to tell you it is. It takes like two or three days. You're not, you, you could take some penalties, but um, I highly doubt they're going to be anything that actually matters. And then you're going to move it over to a self-directed custodian. It's really no different than if like, let's say you currently had your whole portfolio with like Wells Fargo and you wanted to move it over to Charles Schwab. It's no different than that. You're just liquidating it, transferring it over. 
And then once, once you have it in your self-directed IRA account, you want to make sure you put it to work as quickly as you can, because once you move it over there, it's just sitting there. It's no longer invested in anything. You have to invest it and you can invest it. You can loan money out. You can buy businesses. You can invest in real estate. You can invest in syndications. There's so many different things that you can do that again, like the industry doesn't want you to know about because nobody gets paid except for you. Um, But to just kind of give you an idea of why we did ours, I had mine in mutual funds before I bought my duplex. My duplex makes me $1,300 a month minus my property manager who gets their 10%. I net 1170 per month in my IRA for this one duplex. Before that, I was making about $900 a year. So I make more in a month than I was making in a year. And there's a couple of years where I actually lost money. I have yet to lose money since I self-directed. Um, so anyway, I use um, I use directed IRA, directed trust, maybe is what they're called. But there's a couple of them out there. Just Google it. Just Google, how do I self-direct my IRA? And you'll see all the custodians. And what, um, what's the benefit? I think people are like, this sounds great, but what's the benefit of using an IRA versus like, personal, personal money. I guess it's, if you don't have the cash, you just use, you can buy something within your IRA. Like it's, it's kind of strange to me. It's not like, it's like within an account, right? So, yeah. So you know how like an IRA, you you have all these tax benefits of real estate investing um, on the income that you earn as an investor. Well, your IRA, as you contribute to your IRA, you also don't have to pay taxes on that income that you put in there. So Mm. you're offsetting your taxable income from like your W2 job or whatever it is that you do day to day. And then you're buying real estate in it. So you're taking it, you're, you're offsetting this, and then you're also offsetting the, you know, taxes that you'd pay on the income that it's making. So you can do it with your 401k too. Like some companies have, or, you know, companies will match their 401k contributions. You can do it with a lot of those different funds. So you get like double tax benefits. Wow. And so, um, is your whole portfolio within an IRA now or is it? No, I think like 43 doors are in the IRA. Um, wow. So almost half. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's where we've been seeing the most scaling because we're doing those syndications. So instead of putting, you know, we can buy into, um, you know, and we don't own all those 91 doors. We don't have hundred percent ownership in them. Yeah. So like the ones in our IRA, we might have a 12% ownership with a $50,000 investment. So that's really where you see those numbers. Um, And I think a lot of times when you see people that have these like thousands of doors, they're pretty much always invested in syndications. Yeah, it seems Um, like that's becoming a a trend here. We're finding out, oh, all right. Like they're saying that's their number. Not saying there's nothing wrong. We're saying that now too. We're like 10, 15% owners in 50 units. It's like, all right, like we can kind of tack them on. It's probably more like 27 if you like divide it all up. But um, totally cool. Can you pivot from the, this IRA conversation to the, the syndications, the, so it was, it was the 12, unit I think you were going to go into. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, um, no, we're going to do the five unit because I don't remember the numbers on the 12 unit well enough, but the five unit, um, it's right on the, it's right on Jacksonville beach. They bought it It as actually four units with like an unfinished fifth unit and they made it into a studio apartment and it's a short-term rental, beautifully decorated. We call it big blue. It's like, it's like royal blue on the outside. Um, and I think we purchased for $2 million. I put my $50,000 into it. I want to say I have like a 12% stake in that one. And it makes us about 
Well, it makes me, this one's in my account, like $870 a quarter. And we're about to do that refinance just because it has appreciated so much. And I will get all that money back that I put in. I I think I'll actually get like 67K back. I put in 50, I'll get 67K back. And I only invested in this like probably two, um, two and a half, three years ago. And so now I still have those, you know, my stake in those five doors. Now I can take 67K and I'm just going to give it back to them. And I'll have hopefully another 10% stake in an even larger apartment building and just continue to scale like that. Recycle your money within the, uh, the syndications and scale up. That's yeah. what I, we've talked about this on a number of episodes now because Ryan and I are, yeah, I mean, technically we own 60 doors, right? But like, we're only a small percent owner of 50-ish of them. But I think that it's important to note that like, we've been able to find better real estate investors than us. That's the whole thing here. And like being humble about it. Like these people that we're jumping into deals with are better than us. Maybe they're not better. We're better at certain things, but they're better at running and operating the deal. Okay. So if they're better at that and you have a busy life and you're trying to build a business or you're doing what you're doing, building your own real estate portfolio, that's great. But to think that you're the best at it and you're going to get yourself the best return, you may not be, you might be swimming in a small pond and that, that or too small of a pond. So I'm totally cool giving $100,000 to an investor that's going to give me a 15, 13, 12% return if I'm not 100% confident in how to do that myself. I think that the vetting process and the relationship building is the most important thing. It's not just about finding somebody that says they're going to give the value to you. It's you giving value to this person by giving them your dollars. Maybe you have some also some knowledge about certain things that they're not thinking about, but then also the return that's going to be higher than something that you can generate yourself. So I yeah. love the syndications. I think that we're going to get more into them in the general partnership aspect as we're going to raise capital, but we're only going to present deals to our network that is going to be the best that we can find with people who are better than us. And if we're willing to say that because people trust us, then we think they're going to be great deals. So syndications are awesome. Continue. I, I didn't mean to, to cut you off there. I just thought yeah. that to take your $200,000 that you maybe get and then go reinvest it in another deal. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's a good, um, you know, when they're, they're operate, they're the operator, right? They're operating that deal. They're either managing the tenants or the short-term rental, whatever they're furnishing it, renovating it. That's your money is being put to work and then you can continue to make more money somewhere else and scale. And that's kind of what I like about the syndications in our IRAs, because like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time there because I can't benefit from any of that money. I want it to just keep working, keep growing. Then I can work on stuff that I can make more money, continue to contribute my $5,500 to my Roth IRA every year. So I can keep making that more money too. And then grow my own portfolio over here on the things that I enjoy and the things that I'm good at. Very cool. Um, I also want to talk about kind of the e-commerce stuff too. So I know that you are heavily invested in real estate. We talked about your 91 units. You've used a ton of different strategies, which is you're, you're absolutely killing it. The, the other side of the, the, the card here is like, Hey, let's talk about this refinance out. You just got 67 K. Are you going to continue to dump it into a couple turnkey properties or are you going to maybe move that towards some e-commerce ventures? And, and yeah, uh, that's kind of rhetorical because I, you know, you have a lot going on, but can you talk to us about the other side of your portfolio on the e-commerce side, like what you're involved in and why you're, you know, even thinking about that, right? Some people might just stay in the lane of real estate and they say, well, I don't want to get shiny object syndrome. Are you looking to diversify, move things around? Like why, I guess, why did you decide to kind of play in that field as well? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I told you guys I sold that um, condo in Florida and we sold that in like March of this year, 2020. And like a week before we sold is when the rates went up like 2%. And we are, we're to the point where we can pretty much only use private money. We can't use bank loans for the most part. So we're restricted to these DSCR loans, the debt service ratio loans. So they have to make money in order for the lender to loan on them. And so something that was making money at a 5% interest rate was no longer making money at a 7% interest rate or seven and a half, which is what happened like literally overnight. So we were going to do a 1031 exchange on that sale of our condo. We've only sold like two properties ever. And the first one was actually at a loss. Um, and we sold it because we couldn't find a property manager. The tenants were a nightmare. And anyway, we didn't have to deal with a 1031. So this time we were like all geared up to do a 1031 and rates skyrocketed. And all the deals that we were looking at no longer worked. And they weren't, not only were they not making money, they, the lender was like, we can't lend on this because the, the ratio is off. And so we were like, shoot, what are we going to do? We ended up paying taxes on that sale, which was fine because we were then forced to look into other opportunities. So then I had all this money, you know, $118,000, I think. And once we paid the taxes in our bank account and, um, you know, the recession was coming pretty fast. And as I was like looking at what these wealthy people were doing, it was like, okay, your dollar is losing money. Any money that you have sitting in a bank is you know, not doing anything, literally losing money, losing value. And the real estate industry was kind of tough. And so I was looking at what these people were doing. They're like, they take their money. They, they don't want to be liquid because that money isn't worth anything. They want to buy underpriced assets, it, you know, businesses, assets that are making money. So I was like, okay, there's something to this. So I started looking into some businesses, but I found like, I was like, oh, I could buy a bunch of ATM machines or I could buy some vending machines or, but I was like, when am I going to have time to replenish the cash in here or the, you know, bags of chips? And so I started just looking into these, this, uh, this concept of like automated businesses. And so we came across um, a company that does like 18 wheelers and YouTube. And I personally have a YouTube channel that I have been struggling to grow for literally years. And I, I understand what can happen with YouTube. I just haven't figured out how to implement that yet. And so when I, I know that there's people out there that obviously get it. Um, and so I, I was like, I want to look into that. And I found out that these YouTube channels and people are making like 30 grand a month in YouTube. And, um, but I also, again, like didn't want to have a full-time job. I didn't want to have to figure that out myself. Didn't want to have to find the content or make the content. I wanted someone else to do it. So we invested in a YouTube channel. And then some, similarly, we invested in some digital real estate that um, this property manager puts SEO, search engine optimization behind a domain or a website, makes it a top-ranked website, and then they either rent it out to a company as like a month to month tenant, or they drive leads through it and they sell those leads. And when you do the lead model, it's like virtually limitless income. And I understand SEO as well, because I've also had a website for a couple of years and I've spent a ton of money on these SEO experts and I've seen my traffic grow, but it takes time and it takes effort. Um, so again, I wanted to find another passive opportunity. So that's how we got into those. And then we, we bought into a, um, 
Amazon store. We're just getting it up and running. It's fulfillment by Amazon. So the company runs it through Amazon warehouses, puts it all in Amazon boxes. Cause I guess there was some issues with like the drop shipping model and stuff being delivered from Amazon via, you know, in a Walmart box or whatever. So too early to tell on that one, but I'm, I'm just really excited for these, just things that are going to be passive, but just sort of help us diversify a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I know we we both probably have a lot to say here. One of the things that I wanted to mention is when I'm listening to this, if I if I'm not involved in this, I'm thinking, okay, like how do I know what to pick, right? Like how do I know what to do? And I can give you my perspective, and then maybe you can give me yours. I think there is a such thing as shiny object syndrome, right? Totally. And I think Ryan and I have actually learned that the hard way in certain things. We've tried to do things that maybe it's just not in our purview and not in where we should be going. But my thing is like, we're using real estate investing as our long-term wealth building, generational wealth that's going to be here for as long as time, hopefully, right? So we're going to keep adding that. That's our main thing. That is our main gig. We're going to consistently buy, consistently create relationships. And I think one or two other side businesses that that may be able to scale, for us, there is not a thing. I shouldn't say this because it'll probably happen, but there isn't something else that I'd want to go into now. I know where I know our lane. Like I, I know that real estate, we love YouTube, even Amazon store that's slowly starting to churn. It, I don't think that there would be something else that I'd want to put my eggs in that basket because it's almost like you build these bridges and then you 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 build six and you never get to the destination on on any of them, or maybe you only do on one. So that's kind of my take on it. How do you balance that in the decision making to be like? you know, should I do something else that's a a learning a whole new thing? Or is it more so that you have enough income coming in from your real estate that you're not as concerned? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, so, so we're kind of the same, like our, our real wealth is in real estate. And that's where I see our net worth constantly growing is through our portfolio. So when we decided to invest in these businesses, it was more so for the income because, you know, I'm, I'm to the point now where like, I'm like, I want to, I really, I do enjoy working and I love making money and growing, you know, buying assets, but eventually I don't, I don't want to do this forever. So I want to build, like, I want to just keep buying passive income, which is like basically what this whole year has been about. And so when the thing that I don't love about all these businesses are the fact that I have no control. Like, I feel like for the most part, I have a lot of control over the things that I do with my portfolio, obviously not so much the syndications, but I believe in real estate enough to know that even if you make a mistake or you buy it too, too high, or you mess up a renovation or overpay, like just hold on to it. And it'll eventually, you know, your, the cost will not matter as much as it appreciates. And so <clears throat> when we got into the businesses, I, I don't like that. I have no control over the operation of it, but to be honest with you, this was part of me growing. Like when I first it took me so long to get into real estate, because I was afraid I wasn't going to feel comfortable doing it. And I, and not only do I feel comfortable, but I went all in and it was, it changed our lives. And so I'm like, this is an opportunity that could do the same thing, but we would never know until we pursue it. And particularly with like the Amazon store, because I don't know how you guys do it, but all of our goods product will be bought on credit, which scares the crap out of me. Um, but again, like, I just feel like this is part of step, like pushing myself out of my comfort zone enough to pursue an opportunity that could really matter. I'm not certainly not encouraged you to like throw caution to the wind and take on unnecessary risk, but if you, you know, if we were to lose the entire investment in that store, and then I think we have like a $40,000 
limit on that particular store's credit card. If we were to rack that up and be stuck with it, we would still be able to overcome that because of all the things that are happening over here with our real estate portfolio and because of what I've learned about making money through other things. So I think, you know, it's definitely a balancing act. Like you, you don't want to, the whole point is to scale. And so if you're not comfortable and you're not sleeping at night, you're not going to keep buying. You're not going to keep scaling. So you have to be very wary of that, but you also have to stretch yourself a little bit, step outside your comfort zone and take on some risk because there's no way you can't, you can't invest in anything without risk. So I know that doesn't like really answer the question, but, and everyone's different, but I think that for us, it was just, it was just trying something different and the risk far outweighed the reward. I I think there's a good chance that one of these businesses is going to be a complete and total flop and we will lose every penny and never see it again. And we're okay with that. We kind of knew that going in and it's part of it. Yeah, we're we're in the same boat, and it was for us. Is we use the word diversified. I don't know if that's the the correct or appropriate word here, but we wanted to try other things, right? And it's like it's like mitigating risk and like trying to make a calculated decision when you're going to buy these. And the, the operator that we use, um, similarly to probably your situation, is like they had YouTube channels, they had Amazon stores, they have Shopify, Facebook Marketplace. They have a lot of stuff. And it's an automation business. And it's it's the same way. It's like you pay an upfront cost, you split the revenues that come in. And some of them require a little bit more effort than others. For example, Amazon requires a minimum of 30 grand credit line. And for us, that we're young cats in the investing game, right? We're only like two, two and a half years in. And um, it's it's a lot of money that you, it's not a credit card where you put the minimum payment down and like can slowly pay it off over time. It's a business credit card where you have to pay it in full at the end of every month. So it's like, if we're going to buy these items in bulk, we have to trust that they're going to actually get off the shelves for a higher profit margin. So that way we can at least have some revenue coming in break even, right? Or else what are you doing this whole thing for? And it the other thing is almost not the blind faith, but the faith that it is going to continually increase over time or else kind of why are you doing this thing? And it, it takes about two years for things to season and actually get really high performing off the ground. So we decided to try that. We have one. We also have our YouTube automation channels. And I'm going to ask you how yours work in a minute here. I'll just kind of give a brief recap because we have a lot of people that always ask us how these work on our end. But essentially it's you create, you pay 25 grand to open up the store, the channel rather. And then you give access permissions to four specific people on the operating team. And they go in and they they cut, edit, repurpose, and share videos on your channel every day. And it changes with time. Sometimes it's five a day. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes they'll wait every other day. It, it changes when the algorithm changes and the team has to like adapt and grow. And basically... They're just trying to get viewership on your on your channel, and a lot of a lot of our videos in the beginning, at least the first eight months, were just TikTok videos from other creators that were put on our channel. They're sixty seconds long, and over time, your audience starts they like view the analytics tell what they're into, and then the operator starts putting more of those videos out. Let's just say, for example, the niche turns into like a culinary channel where it's like uh, food recipes. Um, different like ways to make things and and it's it all in the on the food sphere right and so that way when you go to advertisers you say hey listen i have a channel that has 5000 subscribers they get x amount hundreds of thousands of views a month you should come in and buy in to our pool of channels and we'll advertise you on this specific channel anything that people go buy when they click on it you got will split the ad, the ad rev so we get 65% of the revenue, the operator gets 35% of the revenue. And it's all just a driving traffic and videos. And it's an ad split at the end of the month. 
which is weird. It's it's like we're not. That's only one half of it. Then you can also get monetized by YouTube. So if you get over four thousand hours of airplay, and I believe it's over a thousand subscribers, YouTube will say, okay, like you fit our minimum requirements to be monetized. And you know, at some point, as things continue to grow, YouTube will start cutting you a check for bringing advertiser advertisers onto your channel. Then I think there's even like as you go further, you get fifty thousand. 100,000 subscribers, you get like bonus checks, the little bounties for uh, like $20,000 that just gets cut, cut a check to you. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Then there's a, if you say you grow your channel, there's a bunch of different people that are continually on there. Let's say your subscribership is like 50,000 and you're, you know how like Instagram and all these algorithms work, but like um, the activity, continual activity, you could tell who buys fake followers versus the actual engagement, right? If you have an engaged channel, there's also an option to potentially sell the virtual asset of YouTube channel to someone else that wants to have a YouTube channel and like continually bring in advertisers. So for us, we're like, okay, this, this sounds great. Cause there's like a bunch of different avenues and there was zero credit that you had to, you didn't have to have a credit card. You didn't even have to have an LLC to open it up. And it was completely passive for us. The hardest part for the whole thing was, Hey, we're hands on guys, you're hands on gal. It's like, we really do nothing. Like, can we do anything to help this thing out and grow? Like, nope, you got to sit tight. You're buying into us. Give us two years to see if this thing works. And if you're not satisfied within two years, we can revisit the conversation. We'll buy your channel back. So for us, it was a no brainer. We're like, all right, 12, five each. We have it. If it's going to potentially in two years, bring us one to three grand a month of passive income after it's paid off that 25 grand's kind of re-earned, if you will. It's a no brainer. You're not finding a property like that. So we, when when people ask about the channels, I just gave like a high level overview, but like, we like to view it as, Hey, we bought the virtual asset and you're the four like people you bring in. The operator is your property manager and you pay them to handle everything on the day to day. You get your check at the end of the month. It's going to be a little bit less because you're not doing it yourself. But for us, it's like, we close our eyes. You're, you literally are making money while you sleep. And that's what we were looking for. So that yeah. that is why we are, as of right now, like thrilled with it, as opposed to Amazon's a little bit slower of a burn for us. Have you looked at like, I haven't looked at the YouTube channels, like resale value, but I've seen some Amazon stores that um, I think we, I bought in for mine, I bought in 45K and I've seen these Amazon stores that are doing what I hope to be doing in a year or so. And they're being sold for like 2.1 million. So they, I mean, there's a business, right? You're selling, they're selling it as a business. And there's something, you know, obviously a business that hasn't done anything yet and has no income to report is worth much less than one that's like established and successful. So that's cool. And I, I, two things I wanted to mention on that whole thing. So Corey, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about like shiny object syndrome. Like, obviously that's real. I'm, I'm guilty of that with the flipping and um, the wholesaling. And that's part of why we decided to do this too, because I did want to try something different <clears throat> and see how we could put our money to work elsewhere. But the biggest regret of those two things that I did, it's not the money. It's not the lost money. It's not the lost net worth. It's the lost time. I'll never get that time back. So that's not a concern here. Like if you lose that 25K, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn 25K's worth, but at least you still have your time. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. And I think the only other thing you, well, not the only other thing, but the other thing you really need to look at when you are choosing these op- these operators, or I call them like the automators, um, 
is they need to be super transparent because the way that you just explained this, Ryan, like the, how YouTube works is more than I've ever gotten. And I invested in like February. So we're 10 months in and I, the company that I have mine with is, I don't want to say they're not transparent. I'm sure that if I like force them to sit down and like explain it all to me, they probably yeah. would. I don't necessarily want to know, but this other company that I work with that does a digital real estate in the Amazon, they are beyond transparent. I see every single call that comes through my website. I see every penny that that company that comes in. I see how it's divided out, what they get, what I get. So I think it's really important that you know, um, not that you necessarily want to be tied in because I don't. That's the whole point of me giving my money to someone else to grow a business for me. But I do want to know that if I wanted to have to look into it and wanted those questions answered, that I would get those answers. And they're not all the same. Not all businesses are the same. So I think it's, it's just a big lesson to learn when you're sort of analyzing an opportunity. Totally. It's actually a conversation we've been um, having with a bunch of different people lately. It's like, there's a lot of people that are really good at their craft, but they are not, not saying they're not good at it. They're just the, the, I don't know how to say this like politely, but like regurgitating information to the average investor or like the layman, it's hard for people to do because they're just going a million miles a minute on their craft. And then they can't explain it well enough to us who are going to go in and buy it, invest in it. And then it, it deters them. They could be making way more money if they just package it into this little bite size information. Like, yeah. here's the return. Here's how it works. Here's what we're going to be, be doing on a daily basis. If this isn't working, this is what you should check me on. So, and obviously there's a little due diligence that needs to be done on, on our end as the investor. However, there's not a ton of information out there because these things are newer, right? And it's a digital age and there's so many different ways you can make money online. So for us, it took... Uh, candidly, like we had to do a lot of research and there's so many companies out there. And the reason we use the company we do is we were um, referred to them by an investor that we had on the show, who's very successful real estate investor. He's like, dudes, this is the most passive thing I've ever done. We had a bunch of conversations with the owner of the company, the chief revenue officer. And like, like, all right, cool. Like we we've exhausted these people with questions and we just got, now we have to trust, right? We invested our money and it's like, okay, let's see if you can perform. And in so far, so good. Um, but I think that's super important that you brought that up. It's like, there are people and companies out there that'll, they may market good on Instagram, but when you actually go to ask them the nitty gritty, they can't tell you though your left foot from your right, which is important. Yeah. So you need, you need to vet. I think people need to start using logic too, and not just go heavily on emotion. Like it's, if, if it doesn't make sense to you and it's just not like, then maybe it's not something for you, but flip on the other side of the coin, you have to take a little bit of a leap of a faith to live that different lifestyle, right? And invest and try to make try to make money where other people aren't making money because that's how you live a life differently than they will. So yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel. Totally. Cool. So before we wind down the show, um, one of the questions I want to ask you is like end of 2022, beginning of 2023, what's next for your business and what recommendation would you give to people that are looking to start getting invested in real estate or whatever? you're going to recommend now because investing in real estate in 2018, when I got started is very different than investing in 2023. It doesn't mean that we're not doing it. We're doing it even more so, but we're doing it differently. So what's your recommendation as we wind down the year uh, for somebody who's looking to get started and what would you tell them? Yeah. I mean, uh, so we are actually, so one of the things I want to do in the coming years is development, <clears throat> but 
with my kids still being so young and, and not fully in school yet, I, it's not a career change I want to make because it's just, it's like a whole nother level of real estate investing, a, a lot of responsibility, a big step for me. So, but I came across this opportunity to buy two lots that are, they already have utilities. They've already been approved. There's designs done on them and they're mixed. They're two mixed use buildings. And so that's kind of what's next for me. I'm ready to sort of take the next step. Um, just career wise, um, you know, not obviously scaling is always the name of the game, but in terms of like real estate and doing something I haven't done before and taking that step, that's next for me. And I think for anyone listening or for anyone who's getting started or looking to scale, the biggest thing you can do is define your why, figure out what you want your life to look like, and then set goals that will accommodate that. And, you know, if you want to build a passive portfolio, wholesaling isn't going to do that for you. It's there's nothing passive about wholesaling. So you have to make sure that your goals are in line with your end state. Otherwise you could get to the point where you think you've achieved success. And you hear this all the time. Like I, I worked so hard for this promotion and I got it and I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any better, different. And that to me is just a failure to define success appropriately. So as the most important part is define success, really, really make it personal to you and then do whatever it takes to achieve it. Excellent. So I do want to touch on this too. I know you do a little bit of coaching. Can you tell us what's involved in that and like how people can get involved if they, you know, they, they like the show and they're just like, well, Erin's amazing. Like, how do I talk to her one-on-one potentially and just like get involved with your coaching platform and like what services you offer? Yeah. Yeah. So I have um, a main investor course and it's really, it's really foundational. I believe that real estate investing is for anybody regardless of background, education, there's really no barrier. <clears throat> and I really want to just teach people that. So we start with exactly what I just talked about, defining your why, figuring out where your finances are, um, and then what you want your finances to look like. And we kind of backwards plan to make sure that you make the most progress. And then once we've nailed down your strategy, that's totally embedded with your goal, your end state, then we can build the team to accommodate that strategy. Then we can look at a market and finally, analyze properties within that market. And I'll help you understand how to make offers without risk or low risk and actually take action to do those things. Um, and there's the course can be taken by itself, or you can also upgrade to one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. And you can find that on my website, bcglobalinvestments.com. And I, I'm uniquely postured to really kind of hold people accountable to stay on track because I have failed to do that so many times. And I've seen the progress that it has it prevented me from making. So I'm really passionate about like keeping people on track and making sure when you have someone else looking at it, it's so much easier for them to say like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But sometimes when you're in it, you just get kind of lost in it. So anyway, yeah. So that's kind of like, that's my main thing. I have a couple other little things. Like I have an ebook um, and a, a free webinar and stuff. All, all things you can find on my website, bcglobalinvestments.com. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. I think people after listening to this, you're definitely going to be interested. So I hope that's the case. Um, we made it to the core four. Um, so first question, what's your favorite investing or real estate book that has kind of inspired you along your journey? Yeah, this is tough. And I, I hate giving this answer because I feel like everybody says rich dad, poor dad. Um, but that was really what changed things for me. Robert Kiyosaki um, just helped me really define an asset. But I think probably the one that was even bigger than that was... Um, who not how has really allowed me to, you know, kind of like crank up the jets and take off because I've learned that 
I, there's only so much I can do. And even though I'm super driven, super motivated, I'm a, t- a high performer. I am the discriminating factor. And if I can find the people, and we've talked about this throughout this episode too, like the people that can help you succeed is so much more important than the actual steps to doing it. And so I've really implemented that in my career and that's helped me scale significantly. Yeah. It's coming to the point. I love that you bring this up this and I I will try to be brief on this, but I'm super passionate about it because I'm a high performer too, type, type a, but also an a player. And I could, obviously you are too. So it's frustrating to me that like when things don't get done, I working with like B or C player, you're like, damn, like I could do that so much faster, but it takes time for you to go research it, do it. It's, it's, it's a hard balance of like, Hey, do I want this done the right way? Or do I actually want it just done? And it's, it's hard kind of like being a perfectionist a little bit, if you will. But it's like, I, I, you don't want to give up the reins because I just know it's going to be shitty if that person does it. And then I, and if I'm putting my name on it, I want it to be a reflection of me. So that's the struggle I'm dealing with within our businesses at the, at the moment. It's like, how do I navigate not being a hardo all the time and like managing my own life too, but also like putting my own flair on it and like putting people in the right places, right? Like we just hired a virtual assistant to to help out with some of our content, which is great because it was such, it's so daunting. Not daunting, that's not the right word, cumbersome. Like every day to make sure you're posting exactly at seven or, or 3 p.m. And like, is it going to hit all the platforms and all the things? It's like, oh my God, like so many hours going to research and, and creating and all this stuff. And it's like, truly, you we could probably find someone that just will do it as a B and I'll take that over a C, but I would prefer an A. But if it's going to take me out of the picture, I'm cool with alleviating myself. It's just, it's very hard as a business owner. And I think going through it and you, you're, you deal with a bunch of different personalities all the time and you always wonder what's out there. Right. And I think the, the tipping point for people is like, well, I don't have the money yet to hire someone. And cause obviously you can go pay anyone to do something. So it's finding that fine line of like using your resources that you have and being the best you possibly can be with what you have and then yeah. growing as time comes along. But I would say the reason I bring this up is you know, a lot of people get stuck in the phase where they're just like, they won't even go research themselves. Like if you, if you don't have the money, you have, you literally have to go study and research and do it. Just do it yourself. Cause no one's going to do it for you. Um, unless you put a dollar figure to that. So I'll get off my soapbox. Just better frustration. I love the soapbox for me. Dude. And like, he can stay on the soapbox. Yeah. I love it. I like it when he gets on the yeah. soapbox. Yeah, yeah. I was going fast there. Um, um, all right. Second question of the core four is if, uh, Corey and I cut you a check for 50 grand a day, tax-free. You don't have to pay Uncle Sam anything. Just like, how would you use it or invest it knowing what you know now? It can be selfishly if you want to spend, but if you want to invest it, like just give us your little like pie chart where you where you'd implement it. Yeah. Um, I feel like my answer would have been different two months ago, but I just launched a foundation this year and it's called For the Kids. And we... Um, we basically want to be like this direct line to people in our community, kids in our community that need something like kids that are hungry, kids that don't have a backpack or need soccer cleats or registration for a softball season. And of course, this time of year, like so many kids need so many things. Not, I mean, not need, but we've been buying a lot of Christmas gifts and stuff like that. And I, you know, kind of thought this would be like a side gig. Um, but I recently did this, um, like women's networking group and like 75% of the women there left this like crazy job. Like one of them was working for NASA. Another one was like a software developer and they left these jobs to pursue nonprofit. And I, I, I just realized like we could really give this, 
this organization wings. And it's really cool to see like what a game changer you can make. And it doesn't take a lot of money. I mean, like we just walked into the school the other day, the school that my kids go to a single mom's incidental account was racking up like lunches and sports registrations, things like that. And she just couldn't make the payment. Like she was paying for tuition, but she couldn't make it. Walked in, swiped the credit card. She didn't even know who did it or anything like that. And that's just, that's what we want to do. And that's what we want to be. Um, so that's what I would do with it. I would, I would, and the nice thing is a hundred percent of the proceeds, like hundred percent of the money. And all it is so far is just money we've put into the foundation and we did it to offset our taxes. Honestly, like we've always been pretty big givers, but we didn't like, like you give to an organization and only 70% of it goes somewhere. And then, you know, there's just a lot of implications. So we said, we'll create our own foundation. We'll donate to that to offset our taxes that way. And then we can choose whatever we want to do with it. But it's, just yeah. in the last like couple of weeks, seeing what we've been able to do and the impact we've had with very little effort and minimal money at this point has been incredible to see. So I think that's what I would do. That I would I would put the money toward building that organization out. And because I've learned it's basically just been me running to Walmart and wrapping gifts. And I've recruited some elves to help me out because it's been nuts. But I would I would build that out. I love that. And I, it's, I will, I'm going to try not to go super holiday season though, baby, dude, love it. So I was actually sitting down with my um, financial planner today and we were going through just like a forecast of like where things will be. And like, he started throwing up some big numbers. Like if things keep going the way they're going and like multiple, like high millions. And I'm like, dude, what am I even going to do with that money? Like, it's just going to get passed down to my heirs and all that stuff. And it's great. It's generational wealth, but there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go through your mind when you're like, "Whoa!" when I get there, it was the game. Half of it was the game, right? Just to see if you could get there. You're, my lifestyle is not, I'm not going to go do this crazy. I don't need a yacht. I don't need all this crazy stuff. Lambo though. Lim- definitely Lambo. Uh, <laughs> that's just my one thing. Uh, maybe we'll see. I, I think I have to have it, but uh, um, that is my advice. I will say, but to be able to change someone's life and it's not, and not think about it and just even the smallest way, like that's so it's not I'm not saying I'm not minimizing this, but going to swipe that card and just making that person's day must've made you feel incredible, but it also, you literally like, they may not have been able to afford that. And they think they're going home struggling and the mental health and like, there's a lot of stuff. Right. So I was at, um, one of the Wawa up by us here. And it's like, just like a guy, I'm pretty sure everyone knows Wawa is, but I don't know if everyone does basically like a, a convenience store attached to a gas station. And uh, if you don't know Wawa, you better ask somebody. You better ask. It's it's definitely not <laughs> anything, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what it was until I moved to no, it's like the It's so. like a mid-Atlantic type. Yeah, it's pretty big, but... Yeah. So needless to say, I was in there and it was late uh, after uh, after work. And some guy came in. I wasn't trying to... I was not trying to judge him, but I was like, this. I assume this is a homeless guy. He's walking around with change. And he's like, he's looking at like food. Then he's looking at a drink. Like he can't figure out what he wants. And then he ends up going to up there and he's like trying to buy like like smokes and i'm like dude what are you i'm thinking in my head like what is this guy doing and i accidentally went to the self-checkout and he's like i came back and the self-checkout was actually closed he's like oh no no you're you're here you you were in line first and i was like he the fact that he just like let me get back in place and everybody else was just like dude what are you doing why are you cutting the line and he's like no no you i just i was like dude grab what you want like, and just, I got you tonight and it was, it was nothing. It was like 10 bucks or whatever he got. He got some food. I, did, I probably shouldn't say that. I did get him the smokes. He wanted them, whatever. But the guy, the guy behind me was like, oh, feeling generous today. And I was like, yeah, dude, I actually am. And the guy let me get back in line and everybody else looked at me like I was crazy. 
tried, decided to make his day. And it, that little thing, I was like, dude, that I thought about that for three days. I was so yeah. hyped and so excited yeah. that I did that. And to be able to do that on a larger scale is incredible. I think about LeBron and his, his friends Academy, I believe it is. And, I promise school. I promise school. Sorry. And he's impacting future generations of kids and kids. And like, when you have a, a certain amount of money, all the materialistic stuff kind of goes away when it gets to a certain number, right? Yeah. And you don't yeah. need that much bigger of a house. And to be able to put a smile on someone's face, but also change someone's life drastically, it's incredible. And I think that's the cool part of actually building wealth that not a lot of people talk about often. It's kind of like, oh, they just silently do it. It's so cool. And it's like yeah. paying for someone behind you in line at Dunkin' Donuts. I bring that up all the time. I just love that. You see them wave and smile. So Super cool story. I appreciate we we haven't got an answer like that um, where you would just give it give it away, and I think that's amazing. So it's awesome. Thanks. So question three: What's been your biggest mistake that you've made in your investing career, Aaron, and how have you learned from it? Oh my gosh! I think every one of my mistakes have been revolved around trusting someone, um, mostly contractors, and I think I just. I believe that we have nothing in life but our word. And so my word means everything. And I assume that everyone else's word means everything too. And that's a very poor assumption. And not everyone, you know, uses their word or thinks of their word the same way that I do. So I've been burned so many times because I trust people when they say they're going to do something or when they say they're going to, you know, produce whatever. And so do we. I, yep. yeah, and it's, you know, it's hard because like, you, you know, you get hardened, you get cynical, you get more negative as you um, kind of grow as a person. And it's, it's hard to like balance that. Like, I don't want to be like a miserable person. I don't want to not trust anybody, but you have to keep your guard up. Um, and I've definitely learned to do that a lot. But I, I just had this happen. I just in this volunteer organization I do with my husband's unit, I, I ordered these ornaments and this woman sent me all these examples of ornaments that she made paid for them and she delivered them and they, they were not ornaments. They were not, they were so poorly done. She said she was going to paint them and engrave them. She stamped them and then she took a permanent marker and colored them. And, um, yeah, it was really bad. And I, I trusted her to, you know, she said she was going to do them and I did, and I gave her money and I'm like, I cannot believe I made this mistake again. I mean, it was a nominal amount of money. Um, but I'm like, I know about myself that this happens and I, and I did it again. Um, so unfortunately I don't know that I'll stop repeating that mistake. <laughs> I think the positive outweighs the negative in those situations too. And if you're smart enough, it doesn't really matter if you don't win all the time, but if you're 60, if you're win 60, 40, then you're like, if you were to go to Vegas and you know that you could win 52% of the time, you'd be a multimillionaire. Right. So yeah. like that the whole thing is like, if you can win more than you can lose, you know, if 52 to 48, is not great. And if you're investing, right. But my point is, is like, as long as the positive outweighs the negative. And as Drake says, as long as the outcome is income, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> all right. I don't know where I just got that from. I must've been listening to today. Thinking about my Lambo, dude. It's all good. That's hilarious. But yes. Yeah, so, um, I think, um, I just lost my train of thought. That's oh, funny. he's so excited. Yeah. Drake. But, uh, but no, I think, I think that, that, in, you know, investing, trusting people, it kind of like it, you're going to make mistakes. And I think the fear of making them get smaller and smaller, the bigger mistakes that you make, as long as that you're not making them right out the gate on your first investment. So, and you have to make, like, let's just talk about this. You have to make these mistakes 
to learn from them and get better and try, like every single investor we've brought on the show and interviewed has told us the slew of mistakes, like the line of mistakes that they've made. And it's made they're multimillionaires and you're like, okay, like, great. Not, yes. not afraid. I'm yep. just, like, they're just not afraid. They keep, they keep what it was like, keep hitting the hammer. I forget what the analogy is here, but yeah, the point is you can't be afraid to fail because then you'll just never start. And that's where you see exactly. 90% of people, like I hate to say it, 90% of people listening to the show are just going to take the information and they're just going to be like, that was great. Yep. On to the next show. And like, they don't yep. write the notes down, go take them in, implement. It's like they're, they're reading the book. Then the book goes back on the shelf. It's like, did you highlight it? Did you start typing an outline out? Did you start like implementing the steps in the how to book? So there's a lot of things and, and it's, you only can try to educate people as much as you possibly can. And it's just going to be up to them. It's like, are you going to take it? Are you going to yep. realize too late in life that you only have one shot at it? I'd rather just fail over and over and over and over to know I at least tried and had fun yep. with it. Like, exactly. even if you go back to zero, it's you're still better than where you were back then. And you could probably dig yourself out of that hole yep. versus not knowing how to do anything. So yeah, and that's, the, that's the best thing about real estate. I tell people all the time, real estate, it's not a question of if you're going to make money, it's when you're going to make money. Like if you just put one foot in front of the other and, and actively buy real estate, State, you will build your wealth. It's that simple. Totally yep. agree. And um, before we get to the last question of the core four, I think um, that's a great point. I have a tendency, rise not so as much, but I have a tendency to micro manage the the now. Like the okay, well, this is what we're supposed to be getting. This is the return that I'm expecting. And if it doesn't fall that way, I think that I did something wrong as opposed to like, look, no, this thing is like, it's a forgiving game, you know? And, and if you put the systems in place and it, you, you keep kind of, you know, you trust the numbers, they're eventually going to come around. And, and we're learning that right now with our short-term rental. We had some big expenses in the beginning of the first two months. And it's like, this is what I thought, but it, it kind of is, it is what I thought. It's just that it needs to actually season. It needs to work out. You need to work out the kinks. So to, to your point there, I just think that I wanted to bring that up, but yeah. Question uh, four. Question four. This is our favorite question on the core four. It's um, what do you want your legacy to be? So what's your overarching why? What gets you out of bed every morning to, to go do what you do? Yeah. I mean, this is tough because I, I have, a, this is like a whole, we could have a whole podcast episode. I feel like on this conversation, like how much do you want to leave to your kids? Um, how much you want to leave, you know, to, to the following generation. So I don't know, but I do know I want to give back. I want to give back significantly and I want my legacy to matter. Um, you know what that really looks like. I don't know, but I, it's definitely a huge part of why I do what I do. Yeah. I mean, the foundation, even that just like that, that's a huge why for you there. So I, I, uh, I love that. And, um, yeah. Use that to keep fueling you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. There's, we could talk for like three hours about this, but it's like at some point, every single person eventually will be forgotten about. I know that's dark, but it's like, how long can you get your legacy to last? If that's what you want, do you just simply want to take care of your kids? So they have a wonderful, beautiful life. And then they take care of their kids, right? Like, or do you want to set up three generations in that there's a lot, of, or do you just want to be known for, your time here. Do you not care? Are you going to let them do their own thing? There's so many different ways you can have this conversation. We've had a lot of answers. So that's why we ask it. But I think the the giving back is the undertone here. And I, I think that's great. So totally. So we made it to the last drop. Last question for you, Aaron. 
knowing what you know now, I don't know how old you are, but I know you're not 18. So if you went back to your 18 year old self and you could look her in the mirror, what advice would you give Erin back then? Oh my gosh. So much advice. I would say, <clears throat> don't let anybody define success or tell you who you need to be. I'm, I'm 35 for two more days. I'm about to turn 36. And it okay. wasn't until I hit my thirties that I finally feel comfortable in my skin. And I, I think part of it was being in the army, coming into real estate, like always being in a male dominated industry, always being told how to behave, what to do, how to be, how to act, how most importantly, not to act. And learning what I shared with you guys about women through like my dissertation and stuff like that. Like I've just, and, and, and raising two girls, like I finally just don't care what anybody thinks about how I look, how I dress, how I act, what words come out of my mouth. I just, I shouldn't say I don't care, but I, I no longer will change that to accommodate someone else. And that like coming to that point and being comfortable in my own skin is, I wish I could have taught myself this. And I hope I can teach my daughters at a very young age, but it's, it's definitely that, you know, just define it for yourself. That's a really good And Nobody said that. I love it's, I, I wish I could tell myself the same thing. And it's so hard to tell your 18 year old self. You're always thinking about like what you're wearing. I don't know, like body stuff. Like, Oh, should I it just like confidence, right. Is probably the, like the, the, the word to use for it. And you can't, you can't teach, you can't say, Hey, go be confident. There's so many layers to that yep. to make you be able to get up in front of a room and talk to anyone and just not think about what they're thinking, but just think about what you're thinking and like the message you're delivering. And I don't know. It, I like to bring it up. It's coming to a head for me with like at work and it's, we're in some meetings some days and I'm like, we are talking about the most top level thing. And this project could have been done three months ago, but it's taking forever to get done. And I just think about what we do on the back end every single day and like how much we're doing to turn our business. And I'm like, let's just make a decision. Let's move. And like, let's go like, and it takes, but it takes confidence to get up and tell someone, no, I don't agree with that. You need to be able to do, go do this. And it goes into so many different facets of your life. I'm just thinking specifically, I work like I never would have been comfortable when I first started getting in speaking my mind and, and having a level of confidence to say, I don't agree with that. We should move in this direction because X, Y, Z. So it can apply to your professional life. It can apply to your home life, to just going out your social life. So um, I think there's a lot to it. And I don't agree with just like, go be confident. It takes, you got to be battle tested. It took me till my thirties to feel the same exact way. Um, and a lot of it goes to like health too, right? Like working out, getting your endorphins going, like eating right. And just, I don't know if there's like some chemical or whatever in, inside too, aside from endorphins that gets you on that like track where you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't care what you're thinking. Like I'm just doing me. And yeah. the, the best definition I've ever heard of self-confidence and I made it into a tattoo that I loved it so much is Ed Milet. I'm not sure if you know who Ed Milet is, um, but he's a multi-millionaire. I don't think he's a billionaire, but, and he's a public speaker now. And he said that self-confidence stems from the promises that you keep to yourself. So if you have a good reputation with yourself and you know, you can trust yourself, then you're not really so concerned about what other people think. And I think I literally verbatim repeated his exact quote. So it wasn't me who said that, but if you can, if you trust your own being, for example, I use the gym, for example, I go to the gym four days a week. It's just what I do. Like, I'm not going to make an excuse about, 
it's not like I have to decide. It's just, I do that. And if I do that, I become confident in that facet of my life. I know that's who I am. And then you can apply that to so many other things in business. If you become a certain way and you trust yourself and you say, I'm going to go do this and then you go do it, then you, if you can trust yourself, then you that that builds this aura about you. Like, you know who you are. And that that's yeah. where I think confidence, confidence truly comes from. And I've never heard it explained better than that. So. You proved to yourself if you can do it. You said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a real estate investor. Bank, you're a real estate investor. Yeah. Like... So that's how I would tell an 18 year old, right? That's how to go yeah. get confidence is just tell yourself you're going to do something and then actually do it. Even if you screw yeah. it up, you're still going to, to, to build. But put in yeah. the reps to do it. It's not going to happen overnight. And if you don't get there, you have to keep chipping away and away. Yeah. And then yeah. one day you're going to get there. Yeah. Just don't and give the up. Failure, just- the failure is where the confidence comes from. Because if you didn't make these mistakes, you wouldn't know what those, where it could go wrong and how you would handle it and overcome it. And that's, that is where the growth happens. Yep. Totally. Totally. So if, unless you want to talk for another couple hours, which I could for sure, um, uh, I'm getting kind of hungry though. So, <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on, Aaron. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're in a female in a male dominated space, keep showing up because, um, you, that's your, you know, the difference that you make and your competitive advantage. So I love it. You're crushing it. If people want to learn more about you, they want to learn, who you are, your story network, maybe join your courses or, or coaching program. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Yeah. Shoot me an email. It's Aaron, E-R-I-N at bcglobalinvestments.com. And I have, you can check out my website too, schedule an appointment with me. I'd love to chat. Perfect. And you're also pretty active on Instagram. Oh yeah. I'm on Instagram. Um, the Aaron Helly underscore investor coach. Perfect. Well, Aaron, thank you again. It was an absolute pleasure. I love your answers to a lot of the questions. They were out of the box from what we received before. And that just shows how unique you are, how awesome you are. So thank you again for coming on the show. I'm glad we're uh, in each other's networks now. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.